Hello, Hoffcast listeners and Doom Doom Bippers. I'm going to get this thing started right away. I've got an excellent guest on the show today. Um, very funny comedian and actor, Fahim Anwar. He's amazing. He's in his own sketch group that had a special on Comedy Central called Goatface. Uh, before that, it was a sketch group on YouTube. So if you look up Goatface Comedy, you'll find that. He has his own special on Amazon. 100% worth watching. This dude is one of the funniest stand-ups in the business and such a unique viewpoint he's not like the rest of them he's got this interesting way of uh of of putting his jokes out there that i think you're really gonna love it's called no business like show business on amazon prime and uh, he's got a podcast called fahim anwar dance hour guys please do me a favor follow him on all platforms but first i mean just follow him on instagram Follow him on Instagram and send him a message saying, hey, heard you on the Hoffcast. Looking forward to seeing what's in store because this guy puts out lots of content. He's, Dude, he's a great dancer and he put you know, like every fifth or sixth video up there is of him dancing to some cool beat. And it's just kind of hypnotic. It puts you in a trance. Uh, he's really good at it. He puts out these awesome little like one minute sketches on there constantly. He puts his stand up up there. Definitely worth a follow on Instagram there. Just... Uh, at Fahim Anwar, F-A-H-I-M-A-N-W-A-R. Fahim Anwar, do me a favor, do that, and send him a message saying, heard you on the Hoffcast, uh, excited to see what you got coming up. Um, I really enjoyed my discussion with him. We've known each other for years. We were on a comedy basketball team together. We talked about that. He's one of the good dudes in the business and super funny and definitely worth your time. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Fahim Anwar. Doom, doom, bep. Doom, bep. Doom, doom. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hoffcast. I'm sitting down with a very funny comedian and former basketball intramural teammate, Fahim Whoa. Anwar. League champion, cut. Fahim That's like Anwar. A, man, you have that photo where we have the trophy? Yes, we're, we so were all embracing and caught up in the moment. So, oh, just Were we in front of the improv? Because we went to the improv afterwards in our jerseys and stuff. We did. We did. We were part of the improv team, which I thought was really cool because I grew up watching Seinfeld, watching him play in like the intramural like softball league where George Costanza yeah. ran into Bette Midler and they were always wearing the improv right. jersey. And so uh, when we were part of the improv team, I was like, hey, we're just like Seinfeld. Just following in that legacy. Yeah. There'll be, there'll be like, we're the stuff of legends. People will be talking about that, that storied run that we had. And you were like, I mean, you, first of all, you had endless energy. We're not going to talk about basketball the whole time, but you had sure, endless sure, energy. No. And then you could make these like twisting and turning shots that nobody else could pull off. Like most people are like pull up jump shot and you're like drive the lane, yeah, twist yeah. around and do this <laughs> like hook shot. And every time you take one of those shots, I'd be like, what do you do it? Nice shot for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, Matt Nose used to call me black swan. That yes, <laughs> just because I'm doing. I guess I have like a European game, even though I'm not from there. I, <laughs> it yeah, was like I a know. Euro Maybe step I, type I, thing. Kind of. I think he figured it out though. He was like, "Oh, did you grow up playing soccer?" And I was like, "Yeah." And okay. maybe 
maybe I don't know. That sort of was my first sport, so basketball. But the thing is, I was better at the street ball because we would jump the fence to play at Bancroft Middle School, you know, right, right. every Saturday. Those were the games, man. Yeah. It's so crazy that, you know, that time is gone. But there was a time where every Saturday we have like three or four courts going. It's so funny and, because, yeah, yeah. there would be, you know, 50, 60 comics running up and down. And then somebody would get a TV show and they just never show up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was also a great kind of networking opportunity, too, where you get these like super famous people and just everyone's there to play basketball. Yeah. And you would, you would see some people who are there who just like can't play, but they're like, it's an opportunity. I, I got to play basketball. Yeah. You got to be out there and run around. That was the only time I ever got exercise. Same here. It was just great to run around. And, and I liked that it didn't matter what level you were at. Cause they had the a court, you know, if you keep winning, mm -hmm. you stay on the a court and it went exactly. all the way down to like D court. So right. there's a court for anyone. Exactly. And just the scrubs would just stay, you know, I'd be sure. down there on C and D court and play and have fun. And then, every once in a while, go play. Yeah. Weren't you surprised that some people, what's great about pick up basketball, you're like, oh, I didn't know they had that in them. Yeah. Or like, you know, like, like Willie's a baller or Brent Morin's a baller or like Rick Glassman's a baller. Yeah. So, Rick was. Because you, you only know these people through comedy. So it's kind of mm -hmm. cool when they get to reveal these superpowers where you're like, oh, shit. Right. You know, the one that really surprised me uh, was Andy Dick's kid. Oh, yeah. Lucas. Lucas. Great. Super nice. Super nice guy. Great basketball player. But like when I first saw him and people were like, oh, that's Andy Dick's son. You think, OK, well, obviously that's not going to be a good basketball player. Like, <laughs> Just because like it sounds the sentence is funny. You know what I mean? Right, or, right. Yeah. It's not a normal <laughs> sentence. But then you forget like oh, humans are humans and like. Yeah, right. he was good. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a few years. Is he still around? I think he's good. I'll see him on like Instagram and stuff. He seems to be doing well. Um, okay. You know who's another surprising one? Paul Morrissey. Yeah, Didn't he play college ball? He did. He did. Yeah. He's like one of those guys that like was deceptively fast. Like you looked he's at like him, like, he's like a Luca. He's like a Luca Doncic. Yeah, yeah. He's just like he'd float around the court and you're like, how did mm -hmm. he just go by me? Yeah. And some of these guys, they have court vision and IQ. I just ran around. And if there was an opening, I would throw it up. But I was much better at the street ball than organized. So in that improv run, mm -hmm. I wasn't as good as, you know, in the streets when the sun's beating down on me. That's when I shine. Our whole team, our whole team that year was just a bunch of like scrubs that somehow found this connection for one season. That's how it works, man. It's a team sport. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Um, dude, I, I'm so happy that you're doing this podcast because, I mean, you're one of the funniest guys out there. And I'm just, and, and on top of that, like there are other funny comics that I see, not a ton, like you're up in an elite well, that's group. Nice. When Thanks. I see you, I think, oh, I got to watch Fahim. A lot of guys get on stage and think, okay, I've seen it. I don't need, <laughs> you go on stage, I got to see it. But then aside from that, you're also super nice when, when I see you. Like, I know we've known each other for several years. Yeah. But, I've guys I've known, known for several years and longer than any other comedian. I'm, I mean, I might be a stretch, but like you're definitely in the top like one or five percentile of people I've known forever in comedy. Back in like I the Bill it, Word days, right? Oh my God, yeah. Dude, I remember. I think I remember the first time I met you was at one of those Bill Word shows. You and Sarah, weren't, yep. like, weren't you like hanging out upstairs or something? Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, we got along really fast. And then we started seeing each other at shows all the time. Um, but that's so cool when people drop off all the time you know what i mean like yes someone will mention a name and you go oh yeah i guess i guess they don't do comedy anymore uh-huh yeah, yeah that happened to me a lot when uh because i went on the road for 10 straight months 
and uh and i came back and people were like oh we thought you moved away. <laughs> like people just you know there is there is an element of that too like um like uh i know people at the comedy store because the door guys will revolve and stuff if and they have this entitlement though like they haven't been there for two years and they come back and they're getting carded and they're like what are you asking me yeah you know like ask about me you'll know who i am but like understand what it is this is a new person that's a brand new person that has no a idea brand new who you person are. yeah so things change the turnover is kind of high at these clubs so if you're, if you're out of sight you're kind of out of mind right right no and and the guys at the door like they, they're not necessarily the biggest fans of comedy some of them it's at the comedy yeah. store it's a little different although they have the security guards now yeah, Which they're not ego tripping. They're just doing their job and they get right. so mad that like, you don't know who I am. And like, they're not Kevin Hart or something. So like, how would he know who you are? Right, right. Even Kevin Hart, I feel like would just be like, oh, here's my idea. <laughs> yeah, here's, yeah. <laughs> just to <laughs> raise a stink. <laughs> um, you talked about uh, growing up with soccer. It, that's Seattle. Is that correct? Yeah, like the Burbs. So I'm trying to think. Like it was Linwood, Muckleteo. That's like a deep cut city. No one would know that. But I've never heard of Muckleteo. Exactly. Linwood, I've heard of. Yeah, I think there's a Linwood. But there's out also here. a Linwood here, isn't there? Yeah, you uh, haven't heard of this Linwood. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know any. So, so, and you started comedy up there. Yeah, yeah. I think I graduated high school. So that summer after I graduated, I was going to Mike's, and that's when I got in. That's crazy that you started so early. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm glad that I, in hindsight, because I've met people and been in relationships and stuff where it's not common that everyone knows what they want to do so young. Right. And I realize that that's like a gift. And I'm so fortunate that I had this compass from such an early age. Not only a gift that you knew what you wanted, but you had the ability to do it. Because I, in high school, I remember my buddy Jeff Moores was really into like, put your goals in front of you because you're more likely to achieve them. I forget where he heard that. I think it's a common mm -hmm. uh, yeah. thing. But uh, he was writing down all his goals. So I was like, oh, I probably should do that. So like sophomore year of high school, I wrote, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. And I like tape pictures of all the guys I thought were funny on this board in my room. So I'd see that every day. Wait, who's and on the board? I got to know. Oh, it, you know what's so funny is it's still up. My parents, even though they moved, they like took that out and, and framed it and put That's it up. That's cool. Uh, but so many of them have fallen now. So yeah. like Cosby's on there like three or four times. And you're like, oh no. <laughs> you just have five Cosby's up there and you go, yeah, Kramer's up there. Like, and then even guys that weren't necessarily stand-up comedians, just that I thought were funny. Like I've got Walter Matthau and, and Burgess Meredith on there. Cause I always thought the, you know, grumpy old men movies were hilarious. Yeah. You know, I, um, I'm trying to think of who else was up there. Uh, I know I had, um, you know, I had a couple Chris Farley pictures up there. Chris Rock, I had the Jerry Seinfeld like CD insert that you could open up and it's just like this blue and black picture of him on stage, like this back shadow picture. And I had that like unfolded on there. It's got all the, all the things he wrote on the back of his album. I just, I, I wanted to put that up there, but, um, but in Nebraska, in the middle of nowhere, there's no comedy. Mm. So it wasn't like growing up in Seattle where I could graduate high school and be like, now nah, I'm going to go do some mics. Yeah, that's so I interesting. I don't even think we had musical mics. So I didn't start until after college, even though the whole time I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so you, like, is there, is there no, there's no like clubs out there? Or? Omaha has a funny bone, but that was two and a half hours from where I grew up. I didn't mm. even know it existed at that time. Yeah. It's far away and it's the only game in town. So it's kind of hard to develop your skills when 
there's just not a lot. There's not a culture of it. Yeah, there was no drive in two and a half hours. You know, now that I live in Los Angeles, somebody says, oh, you, you know, it takes 80 minutes to get there. I probably drive to do time Yeah, for an 80 minute away show. Like, I mean, if I go to the comedy store from where I am on a bad day, it'll take me 45 minutes. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, okay. Uh, but yeah, in high school, two and a half hours was like, what are you, crazy? That's well, that, and, then the and then trying to explain it to your parents, like, it depends how invested they are in you doing it. If they're like, follow your dreams, and sure. But if they're already kind of like, what are you doing? To try right. to tell them, hey, I'm driving two and a half hours in this thing. Yeah, I think, think my mom would have understood. My dad wouldn't have. How, how were your parents when they knew you were going to do mics? They didn't love it. That's why I kind of, it was fine in the summertime. I could do as much as I wanted. But uh -huh. when, I was, when I was in college, I couldn't do weekday shows. I was living at home. I didn't live on campus or anything. Okay. And uh, so all I had was like Friday and Saturday to perform. Sure. I didn't do Sunday because, you know, there's work or there's school Monday and I had to do homework on Sunday. So I just had Friday and Saturday when I was going to college. And where were you getting up mostly? So during the summer, I got to hit up everywhere. I was going to the Comedy Underground in Seattle. Right, I was going right. to, uh, to Giggles, which is in the U District by University of Washington. Isn't it a strip club now? Well, it turned into Jiggles. And now, <laughs> That's my it, favorite it, transition. It, it, like, it's just a one-letter transition. It's beautiful. <laughs> it was so easy. Like, I imagine all they did was they, they replaced the G with the J and then put a few poles in there. And they go... <laughs> All right, we're done with the remodel. <laughs> we change the look as cheaply as possible. Yeah, or I just see—I just think the mic stand goes Ooh, and just attaches <laughs> to the ceiling, <laughs> and it goes, "We're done." I like it. <laughs> I like yeah. It. So and then it turned to giggles, and then it went back to giggles, and then now it's laughs. So Dave and Angela oh, laughs took over that. They had this this club called Laughs. It was part of the Ramada Inn in Bellevue. Right. And I like the. It was like this lounge. And I used to go there all the time because it was on the east side. My parents, they were on the east side. So it was just easier for me not to have to cross the water to go all the way in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. And they would give me a ton of time. They'd give me like 20 minutes on Friday and Saturday. That's great. And yeah, so, so I was doing, I was going to Seattle and stuff. And during the summertime, but during the school year, I just went to Bellevue and did laughs. Dave okay. and Angela's room, part of this Ramada Inn. So that was kind of my, my little routine. You know, that makes me feel a little better knowing that you were getting that kind of time there in college. Because I remember when I met you in Los Angeles and I watched you do shows and I go, man, this dude is my same age and he's so much more polished than me. He's so good. And you already, I feel like you maybe weren't exactly honed in on your voice like you are now. Like now I see you yeah. and I feel like you could be doing new stuff and still connecting with an audience. Yeah. Uh, but back then I felt like you still kind of knew where your voice was. Like, I think the joke I remember is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we, we can't leave the audience hanging. We got to tell them what it is. I'll just gloss over real quick. Because that joke <laughs> is, uh, oh, I'm talking about American Idol. I'm like, I'm actually an amazing singer. I go, most people warm up their voice. I go, <laughs> re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. I go, that's how grandma and grandpa warm up their voice. Right, right. I go, for me, I just sing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song because it takes you through all the octaves you need to go through. So then I'm like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Heroes in a Half Shell, Turtle Power. And then I'm like, and then you're just ready to blow. Right, <laughs> And then I start right. singing and it's like terrible. Yeah, but you're right. I kind of, as I look back on my career and just as an artist, you grow and 
you don't really realize where you were until you're f- removed from it and can kind of assess it for what it is. Exactly. And I found that like, I've always had great ideas. Like I feel like I've always had a, like a bag of ideas and I would just kind of throw them against the wall. Yeah. But there was this disconnect between me and the audience. I was kind of like, I had these great set pieces, uh-huh. but it, I wasn't like um, connecting with them on a human level. I think the comedy store got that out of me. I developed that skill set there where I can go into these silly things, but in an organic and connected way rather than these kind you're like watching a guy do a thing. Right. So right. like you probably saw slivers of, oh, that's an interesting concept or whatever, but I'm kind of like, you know, not, not looking at the audience or whatever. It's right. like a guy doing comedy. Yeah. And instead of, I, instead of a guy being, you know what I mean? Yeah. And especially you know, when you probably started going to the comedy store a lot, it wasn't what it has been the last few years. So you kind of yeah. almost out of necessity, you had to develop that connection with the audience. I think I'm, I'm fortunate to have gotten in when it was the dark ages and no one right. was going there because there were no stakes. And I think a lot of comedians have this fear of doing less than ideal shows like, Oh, there's hardly anyone in the audience Mm -hmm. or, Oh, it's a bar show. Like they just want a packed Friday and Saturday, but you learn the least from that type of show. Right. Like it takes way less to do well on one of those shows than doing a bar show for five people. Yeah. So, and it taught you not to be scared. It's like the, the seals, you know, like, they drown them so they're not like afraid they, they pass out and stuff i know i know and then someone saves them so it's almost like you do enough bad shows like that in stand-up comedy you don't fear the bad show you know how to handle it yeah it's yeah it's so funny because people would say you know a lot of people say oh you're so brave to do comedy or it must take a lot of balls or something and i i don't think it's that i think whatever you know that is removed from our brains to be fearful of that. But when mm-hmm. you're talking about the seals that get drowned and I've heard that too, they get drowned and then brought back <laughs> yeah, that, I'm day, that. <laughs> that day on the seals. I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm yeah, just yeah. not going to be a seal. Uh, I'm sick. I, I, I don't know. I got Yeah. I'd, I want to drown. Look, I want to drown with you guys. I would love to drown. I just, I just, there's a scratch in the back of my throat and I just don't think it's good for me to be drowning today, <laughs> but oh, I'll be back out there drowning? once this is gone. Like, like what's just, let's just assume that I would have yeah. drowned right next to you guys. Okay. Yeah, well, let's just pretend that I did guy. that. I'll revive it. <laughs> I'm good at getting people out. Boy, I I'm tell like you what, best. you you want me up there. You don't want me drown. <laughs> I can do CPR. I'm just I'm better at that. You don't need me to drown. <laughs> oh my god. But you know what yeah. I mean? Like you don't fear because old me used to be like, oh, I don't want to do that show or no one's here. But then mm-hmm. when you first get past at the comedy store, and even when you're just doing the mic before you're past. You're doing the worst time slots and it's not ideal, mm-hmm. but you learn how to like make the most out of that situation. And, and we, when you can learn to have fun with that, it's just so powerful once you are in front of, once your career grows and you see more audience members and you're getting primer spots at uh, the comedy right. store. Right. Yeah. I, I, always, I always envied that you, you were able to do that and, and go through that because it is, it is a ringer that they put you through over there. It's not just about performing in front of the few people, but you kind of have to have a physical presence there. And that's what I lacked is mm. I would go, you know, several years ago, I'd go once a week, but that wasn't enough. Yes. That's one of those things too. It's like, it's like a, f- I mean, a fraternity or a sorority. It's just a thing where 
you have to put in your time. Mm -hmm. There's a system there. So you can be a funny person, but if you're not um, putting in the time to kind of like be part of the family there, right. then, then you're not considered to, you're not going to get up during the mic, you know, like the, yeah. the MC is not going to put you up or the, the manager isn't going to make sure that you get up. So you have to be around enough and, and you have to develop and grow. And eventually there's just like a system there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always thought, okay, well, when I'm, you know, funny enough, I'll come and then they'll just let me in. And I, I don't think that would have been the case with Tommy. I think that would probably be the Tommy case. Tommy was old now. school, dude. Like uh, he was like almost old school to a bad degree, which is, mm -hmm. you know, Adam played ball a little more. Like Adam plays ball. If you're famous, he's like, yeah, David Spade, you're a regular. You know what I mean? Right, right. Whereas uh, I think, I think maybe Hannibal was coming around or, and uh, Tommy was like, come to the mic. Like he was still making him jump through the hoops or whatever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you're like, what are you doing? I remember the story about uh, Jason Sudeikis was hosting something. He was hosting, I don't think it was as big as the Emmys, but something. And he wanted to come run his monologue. And Tommy's like, no, man. He's not a regular. You're not, right? you're not coming up. I'm like, well, but people would love to see his eight minutes yeah. of monologue. And it would be good for him. Like, come on. As a regular, though, there is a certain charm to it where I'm like, sure, that's pretty cool. That's because I'm on the other side of it. You know what I mean? Right, right. Hit the bricks, Sudeikis. But, but the businessman of me is like, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's something, too, because when I first met you, you were working a full-time job for Boeing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was working in Long Beach, and I was driving up. So when we were doing the Bill Word stuff, that was easier for me because that was OC. But there wasn't right a lot of OC stuff. And, no. and where I wanted to be was up there anyway. So I would drive. I would take the 710 and drive to the comedy store or like or the valley sportsman's lodge used to have yeah uh, i remember what was that patio. guy's name what was the guy's name that was it like daryl or something that run the sportsman's lodge oh i forget oh man yeah i forget the guy but it was on the patio you could hear the buses go by it's like right there on the street <laughs> and it, it was not it a patio. good show it was not a good show <laughs> but it was the only place to get up on a friday and saturday yeah. yeah i used to go to long beach did you ever do the uh the it was a coffee shop it was called it was like on portfolio street no Yo. what was Third, it called wait, wait, wait. it wasn't portfolios it was called like coffee haven or something like that hmm, i used to go one. there with but, a couple of friends every friday because it was like well first of all it's friday that's the only place i can get up and they were so supportive there i don't know what uh, if everybody was on drugs or what like the happy drugs but yeah. everybody would just sit there and listen and like oh they would applaud your crap was it a things. comedy mic or was it just like a yes it was art. by and large a comedy mic like mm. every once in a while you'd have somebody play the guitar or something but by and large it was comedians and i remember it would always be like ty rivera would be down there and uh there uh uh, I'm trying to think of who else, but me and the comedy buddies I had in the beginning, we'd all pile in like a Toyota Tercel and just go down there for a Friday night. Well, Portfolios, that's a coffee shop. That was like a really, I bet it's still there. It's, yeah. um, it's like a really nice coffee shop. I used to go there all the time before going to Boeing, like to get okay. some coffee. And then I saw they had an open mic, like stand up open mic. And I debated, I'm like, do I do it? And I, I decided not to do it just because yeah. this was my coffee shop. And I was afraid, like, if I bombed, I wouldn't be able to, like, right. I, did, I, I, did, I didn't want to sacrifice my coffee shop. 
I didn't want to take that chance. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't want to be heckled by the barista when you're just going you know and trying like? to get some totally. morning coffee. Or, or just like people are looking at you and you're just like, oh, there's a guy that bombed. Or I like there keeping that is. world separate. I love sure. having the safety net of bombing in front of strangers, especially yeah. early on. You know, it's almost like um, trying to hit on a waitress if it's your favorite spot. If that doesn't go well, then it's fucking weird. You gotta you gotta go to a new spot. You're never eating a burrito there again. You're like yeah, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. I made it. Or you just you you sit in the different section. Yeah, that's why I never liked having family at my shows, like in the first 10 years. Cause I'm like, dude, no, same. I will have yeah. to see these people again. Comics are strange. Like, uh, if you're, cause there is this breed of comedian who just invites everyone their first month in. Right. And I don't know what that is. Like, I feel like you're setting yourself up for disaster. Do it for <laughs> you. Grow as a comedian and don't worry about the baggage of impressing, or, or you just don't want to have to see these people. Give yourself the, the opportunity to fail. Yeah. Yeah. So don't invite people all these people all you in. know when, when you're not good yet or, yeah. yeah. It's like saying, hey, gather around. I'm going to try dunking real fast. <laughs> Never <laughs> having tried. Yeah. You're like 5'2". You're like, I'm going to give it a shot. I think it should work out. Can, hey, totally. 50 of my closest friends. Will you get over here real quick? Stand-up is the only thing like that where they're going to do it for the first time and they, and they want to invite everyone they know to come see them do it. <laughs> No yeah. other art is like that. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to try jazz for the first time. Everybody, come check me out. Look <laughs> at me hold this saxophone. Take a few pictures while I'm up here. Is this a saxophone? I'm going to give it a shot. And then everyone's like, yeah, you, you killed it in jazz. They just humor you. Uh, uh, I, I, I watch some of my old tapes sometimes. And I would have like Sarah would be in the crowd or something. Sometimes I can hear her laugh. I'm like, oh, that is a pity laugh. That is like, uh, let me help him get over but you whatever this hill it. is. In the moment, you needed it though. Sure. Because there were times in those early days where I thought I'm really good. I'm really yeah. good. I remember being six months in and like printing everything out on a disc and sending it to the comedy store and the improv. You know what's beautiful is everyone does that. And it's kind of like, I've realized delusion is the rocket fuel you need for the rest of your career. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you needed that. And any, any successful comedian you talk to, they, they have a version of that, like making a demo and thinking they're ready the first couple months in. And, and sure. if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have gotten into it. Part of getting into comedy or whatever your art is like rap or you do it because you think you can do it. You think you have an aptitude for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, it takes years of honing your craft to get to a level that, a respectable level, but you need that I can do this attitude or I'm, I'm the greatest or right, whatever right. that is. You know, you just, you just sparked my brain because uh, I remember hearing a story about you uh, when you left Seattle. Now, I, I, don't know, I don't know if I've ever verified with you if this is true. I, well, I got all the second hand. Where's this going? I want to know. But I'm curious. That, like your last show in, in Seattle before you came to Los Angeles. Do you remember that? Was, was it the uh, – hold on. Was it um, – I'm going to be disappointed if it's not true. Was it the Mirabu Room or something? Or? I don't know where it was, but they said you like went on stage with this like bigger-than-life persona, like I'm too good for this town, yeah, like wearing yeah, sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was like giggles and then I, I, I asked for a seven up and then they bring it to me on stage and I have sunglasses and I spit it out and I go, this is fucking Sprite. <laughs> like get this shit out of my face. Yeah. I just pretended like I was already Hollywood. 
I remember hearing that story. I was like, that takes balls. Cause you could have come down here and you could have failed horrifically and had to go back up there and been with everybody. Yeah, but I mean, I had a job out here. But to me, the gag was just so funny, the circumstances. And it's funny for all the other comedians, too. Sure. And, and they all knew who you were, so they knew. They all knew who I was, so there was already a goodwill there. And, and I guess I've always had that where, and I've learned it more, the, the, uh, or like the more I've done stand-up, where the stage and the mic is, is a huge blank canvas. I think we think of stand-up comedy as traditional, like set up and punch into a microphone. But honestly, you can do so many things up there. You can have a music cue. You can act out a scene. Like Traditionally, it's just set up, punch, blah, 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 blah. But you can do so many things. And that's an example of even early on in my career to be like, oh, this would be fun to do. Yeah. It's a little out there, but that's okay. It's my time. Were you nervous to go do that? More nervous than a normal set? Were you nervous to take that risk? It didn't feel like a risk because it just felt like an idea I wanted to explore. And I always enjoyed that. And I do more regular stand-up than these little ventures into other things. Uh-huh. So this almost feels, feels like a field day. Sure. Oh, cool. This will break up the monotony or I get to access this different part of my brain. And did you feel where... the same way about Lance Canstopoulos, which is for people that don't know, is this kind of alter ego that you've made just to make funny videos and funny yeah. dance things. But you took him on stage sometimes. Yeah. So I guess, you know, that leads into that. We're just having, being open to different things on stage. Um, Just the traditional, I love traditional stand-up and like writing jokes and talking into a mic, but just it's endless, the opportunities of stand-up. And that was one of them too. That was kind of happenstance. I happened to be dressed up that way for Willie Hunter's show. I was dancing on it. He, He had this, he wanted a musical guest. And he asked if Lance could do it because visually or Lance didn't exist yet. Actually, he actually <laughs> wanted me to dance on the show. Just me, right, right. me. But I'm like, that's weird. Like yeah. just me dancing on his variety show. I go, I'll do it as a character. I'll dress up like this guy and dance. Right. Because I had done I had done this video at Melissa Villasenor called Dirty Breakin. Right. Where yeah. I had the mullet and the jean jacket. So visually Lance existed. He didn't have an accent or anything. So I did Willie's show dressed as that guy. I just did this dance number to right. Chromio's Night by Night. It was fun. It was in the main room. And this is the dark ages of the comedy store. So I'm just floating around the hallway. And Brenton Middlecombe is like, hey, no one is in the OR. Do you want to go up? And, and I'm yeah. dressed like this. Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, comics don't turn down stage time. So I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I'm about to go up. And I'm dressed in all this shit. I have the mullet. I have acid wash jeans and the wife beater tucked into the jeans. And I, I realized I go, I can't talk like this, dress like this. Right. It doesn't make sense. So in the spur of the moment, I I put on this accent and then there's maybe five people in the crowd, five or six people. It's late night. It's maybe one, 1 AM or it's very chill vibe. There's no stakes, but I'm kind of killing. Yeah, and yeah. it's fun. And I'm just being this character. I'm not doing any material. I'm just doing crowd work with these cougars in the front row. <laughs> and it's, it just planted the seed. I'm like, oh, this is something. Yeah. So then I, maybe a couple months later, I tried it again. And then I just did it more and more where I kind of knew the character. And it was very liberating because I didn't have jokes. I would just go up there and be as this character. Yeah. And there is no funny answer. It's just whatever the character would say in that moment is funny. Sometimes it's not- just... Nothing prepared when you went up. Nothing prepared. There's no jokes. It's just this guy 
reacting the way that he would. And it was so special because it was different than regular stand-up. Yeah. And it was like a party because he would come up and dance for like a minute and then just take questions from the audience. There was a second where I thought, is this going to teeter into like who Fahim is now? Like the it thing is, is gonna take it over. did so well. Um, I think certain comedians could have uh, danced with the devil and chosen to just like, this is my thing. Right. But I, I love my own stuff and stand up and I like my own form of stand up more. I didn't want to sacrifice Fahim for Lance. Right. Lance was always like whipped cream or just icing. He's all candy. He's, he has no nutritional value. It's fun, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's a kind of a party trick. And I like doing it occasionally. I didn't want that to eclipse me. That's a, so good, way of, yeah. that's a good way of putting it. And I, I agree with that decision because yeah, if you ask me, you know, you want ice cream with the whipped cream on top, like, well, I'd rather just have the ice cream if I can only have one. Yeah. And like, like when I write bits and stuff, I, I have some thought provoking takes on things and I like crafting it. And I think, uh, you know, I've been doing it so long. I think it'd be a disservice to Fahim if I just let Lance take the reins because he's a party. <laughs> he's just a party and it's fun to turn your brain off and it's a good time. It's a rip roaring good time, but there's no sustenance. Right. Well, I was going to ask you when the last time you did him on stage, but I, when was I the last time you were on stage? Before the, okay, so here's what's crazy. It was maybe one of the last times I performed at the comedy store before the quarantine hit. Right. I brought Lance back after two years. Okay. I didn't do him for two years. People, but enough people were asking. It was almost like the universe talking to me because uh-huh. this would never happen in the two-year span, but I was getting, a lo- getting it a lot. Like Kevin Christie was like, bring Lance back, man. Like (laughs) this place needs it. And the comedy store is kind of built. Lance couldn't have come from the improv or, or the laugh factory. There's just a special kind of weird, um, at the comedy store and experimentation. I think more of it used to happen back in the day. Well, it's a place where like you, you would see a homeless guy get on stage to do comedy. What, what was that guy's name that would get up there? It was like, come one, come all it's, it's total misfits. And even in the 80s and stuff, and there was a lot more experimenting going on. Right, right. Um, and so he's like, this place needs it. It's kind of like, we miss it. And I'm like, yeah, I probably should. So, and I had been toying with the idea. So I did it. I, I brought him back and it was so much fun, dude. Even after yeah. two years, it was like riding a bike. It's like he never went anywhere. And it <laughs> smashed and it was great. And then quarantine hits. And then I didn't perform for like six months or however long it's been. And Have then you been I did on this stage recently. I think last week or two weeks ago, Tammy Joe she has oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. show that, that at castle. the Magic Castle. So a drive-in show. I did two nights of that, and then I did this virtual show. Hunter Hill has this. Um, that one looks really interesting. Yeah, like where it's this giant bank of this giant LED screen, and you can see Zoom boxes, and you're performing. Does it's like a hybrid of a Zoom show and club? a live show. No, he does it at, like it's in Sun Valley on some sunset, some okay. sun soundstage. Gotcha. Yeah, that one looked cool. And are you interacting with the, because you can yeah. get this semicircle of people on Zoom, right? So it's almost like a real audience there. Yeah, it's like this minority report screen where it's a semicircle and you see a bunch of Zoom boxes and they're, they're just watching you from their living room. It was right. interesting because I've never had this sensation as a performer where I'm holding a mic, I'm doing stand-up and I look at one of the boxes and I just see four people sitting on a sofa like holding <laughs> wine. Right, right. 
it's just such an interesting visual as a performer. I've never seen this before. I just see like four adults on a sofa holding wine, like smiling and laughing at me. I'm like, what a weird world we're in. Yeah. Do you think those, I think some of those things are going to stay because it really opens up access for, you know, people from all around the world to see their favorite comic. Yeah. Um, you forget about that. Cause I think traditionally pre COVID, if you wanted to sell tickets to a show, you were beholden to your radius or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you open the show up to the entire world, yeah, it, it may not be as raw and authentic as you want it to be. Say like, look, I love performing in the belly room or the OR mm-hmm. or these like intimate rooms and stuff. But there is something about like some person in Brazil being able to like tune in. One of these big comics, I would not be surprised if it's Kevin Hart, is going to do a show online for like a million people. Yeah, and like make so much find money. a way to do it where yeah. everybody just pays 10 bucks to get in and boom, he made $10 million. The overhead is <laughs> yeah. minuscule. When you open it up to the world, yeah. it's, it's pretty mind boggling. Yeah, people so. pay like 100 $200, $300 to be like one of those faces on the screen in front of him that can kind of like look at him and interact. Mm, yeah, yeah, almost. that is VIP to be on the, because there's a bunch of people watching who aren't on those screens. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of hidden in the background. You don't even see them, but the, the yeah. people will pay a premium to be able to be like, to be able to heckle or whatever it yeah. is. To, it's, it's like being in the NBA bubble, being one of the people who's like, <laughs> to, be, to be the Street Fighter fan. Right, right, right. I the, I don't know how the NBA was doing it, but the uh, Major League Baseball was like charging for you to put like a the cut cutout of you in there. And I was like, oh yeah, it'd probably be <laughs> worth it to pay $300 to like be in the background doing something stupid. Just so you, when you're watching, you go, oh, there I am. There it is. There it is. I talked to some people, they're like, yeah, I want to buy like the whole third base line and just like have 50 of me <laughs> right there. Like it's Multiplicity starring, what is it, uh, Michael Keaton? That's a deep dude, cut, dude. My mother-in-law and my wife will tell you that's an underrated movie. And I actually think it probably is too. I gotta I like watch it. Movie. I don't know if I've seen it. Okay, You've never seen it? it? Yeah. It's actually pretty good. I mean, I like Michael Keaton anyway. I'm, I'm a Keaton fan, yeah. And so give me four Keatons in the same movie. I'm in. <laughs> this movie needs more Keatons. Well, we talked a lot about like, you know, taking risks on stage and you kind of said you didn't even see it as a risk to do something like Lance Can't Stop List or the, or the I'm going Hollywood. You guys can all kiss off. Uh, Is there anything that you are genuinely insecure about? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I probably do. I can't, it's not on the tip of my brain. I can't think of what it is. Do you have one? And maybe that'll spark mine well i talked about it last week on my podcast because i i have not been i've done zoom shows but i have not been on a physical stage in now 180 days like march 7th i think was my last Mm. one and uh and i just booked like a corporate in december and i was looking at that on my calendar going i i hope i'm still funny and i was really starting to get worried about like being in front of people because conceivably i don't know if i'm going to hit a physical stage before then Mm. I don't know if I will tell you it's uh it's like riding a bike honestly like obviously you're not going to be as well oiled as you would like when you're doing a bunch of sets right but it's not like you're going to grab the mic and just be trembling and you like like your nightmares or something how does this go you'll figure it out obviously you'll be like how does that bit go or oh I forgot this tag to the outside audience they would have no idea 
but sure. you you know it's a little clunky yeah, yeah so fear not it doesn't go away like i thought that too like oh man i've never gone this long without stand-up i think the longest i had ever gone was two weeks yeah, yeah. After, like in 18 years which is crazy well like another example if i'm putting myself in your shoes uh you did a movie a few years ago with tina fey and you had mm -hmm. scenes with her, I feel like I would have been insecure in those moments showing up to set, unless I had this big rapport, but like coming in and seeing somebody that I obviously knew of, like someone mm. as famous as Tina, and then like, I think I would have been nervous and insecure on at least day one showing up, especially the first time they said action, like here's your line, say it to her or whatever. Like, I think I would have been insecure in that moment, but you were not? Uh, there's a level of that, I think. Um, but not so much that it's debilitating or something, you know? Right. Um, but were there nerves leading into that going into yeah, that movie? Yeah, a little bit, but I think it, maybe in health class, they talked about it. There's different types of stress. There's like good stress and bad stress. Sure. And sometimes the good stress, it kind of elevates the performance or right. it helps you. You know, I think you call it you stress. I don't, that's pretty dated. I don't know if that still holds up today, but <laughs> A little bit of stress is okay, you know what I mean? Even before I go up on stage um, at the comedy store, if it's packed or something, mm -hmm. it's not like just like totally nothing walking up there and maybe you can with your Chris Rock or something, but you know, I'm going in as an unknown every time. So there's an element of like, all right, you amp yourself up a bit. Um, yeah. yeah, so there's a little bit, but not so much that it's debilitating. Do you have anything because, you know, one of the secrets of stand-up comedy is, you know, you do this every single day you're not in a good mood necessarily every single day you know we all go through cycles of depression and sadness like yeah. do you have any routine or ritual that you do before you go on stage to like a lot of times i will look out at a crowd before i go on stage and like find somebody that i'm like i i want him to have a good time or i want her to like enjoy this so i gotta bring it yeah do you have anything like uh, that where you get yourself in the mind frame or is it just you get up there and you feel it I guess there's certain things I have to remind myself or things that work for me. Um, I like having a roadmap. So any show I do, I always want to know how much time I'm doing. Sure. And then I'll kind of, I'll put together a set list at home. Like, all right, what do I want to do for this show? Um, so I'll, I'll have a roadmap. And then when I go on stage, like a, it works on me or I, I don't know, everyone's different, but to be happy you know what i mean that i want to be there and having fun like right, when i'm having yeah. fun on stage it's contagious and i'm just able to riff better i'm able to deliver the jokes better and even something as simple as like smiling on stage mm -hmm. i guess it depends like if, if your character isn't smiling sure as a stand-up then sure doesn't fit for you but i'm kind of like a funny absurdist like goofy guy i don't take anything too seriously so that works well on me and i I have to remind myself, like, oh, have fun. Yeah. I don't have to remind myself all the time, but, but it's definitely a color I know that works on me. Yeah, that's a big key. And it must be a little bit difficult because I'm trying to remember, but Lance is probably not a smiler, is he? He's not, but he's such a character that it doesn't, people are trying to figure it out. Like, he's such a defined character that he doesn't, the smiling is almost like getting the approval from the crowd. Like, Lance doesn't care. It's just... And there's something funny about that. Right. And everyone knows a guy like that where he just, <laughs> it's an extreme opposite. Like I'm the best. And does anybody have any questions for me? You're lucky to be here. <laughs> like that's funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. Because, like, I guess my bits or whatever are kind of relatable. I'm trying to be like, oh, I know that. And then you're kind of sharing this moment with a smile in the comedy. Yeah. With, with this, it's just like you're kind of, like, laughing at this guy or his take. It's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your ultimate goals in show business and comedy? Like, what, if, if you had your dream job tomorrow, what would it be? Would it be selling out packed stadiums? Would it be writing and doing your own movie? What would it be? Um, okay, let's see. Let's start very small. I think making it for me, I don't need a lot. I think um, the whole goal the entire time was just make a living doing what I love. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty, cl- I'm doing it, you know what I mean? But you kind of want a little bit of a buffer. Sure. So just getting to a place where like, all right, I, I've carved a lane in entertainment. I'll be fine. This is a career. And some people might say I already have that, but I don't know. Everyone's different. Mentally, I want to get to that place where it's like, all right, I'm making decent money and not like crazy buco bucks or anything, but something comparable to engineering or, and there's like a nice runway where I'm yes. like, all right, this will be into the future. It's not like a one or two year thing. Yes. So security, financial security and job security, that type of thing. And so which that's is, bare minimum. Which is rare in show business, by the way, because I, yes. like, even though I'm making a living in it, it kind of feels like I'm flying in the clouds and I'm never sure what's up there. Right, one mile. right. I want a thing where it's like pretty sure that that would be nice. That would That'd just be, be a relief. Good. Yes. Right. Um, so that's a win right there. Everything else is icing. But if we want to go a level up SNL in some way, you know, writing for the show or just touching that institution, that's why I got into standup. I, yeah. I love sketch. You know, I love standup and I love sketch. Have you ever auditioned so, for them? I did this this year. Yeah. You did just this yeah. year. And did- I did, I did, I did um, when we were doing Goat Face. Yeah. Right around that time, I auditioned as well for them. At Flying IO, out there and doing it? Only in LA. No, oh, just, just LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you heard from this last cycle yet? No, not yet. So, so there's still yeah. a possibility. Possibly. Who knows? Who Dude, knows? Yeah. I'll put this out there in the universe. Like, you, you would be great for that show. Oh, that's nice. You Thanks, really man. would. Like, I, I watch that show, you know, not, not religiously, but I catch several yeah, episodes yeah. Less each so year. now that I'm older, but when I was a kid, I, I was all about it, you know? You would be great there. And I got to feel like you got some friends there. I think you're right, right there in the wheelhouse. Yeah, I know Melissa. And that's the other cool thing, too, is the longer you're in this game, you get to see your friends just like Hassan with Daily Show, mm-hmm. Melissa. So you get to know everybody on these cool things. Yeah. And you just realize that your class just rises together. Yeah. That's another thing I learned too about standup is like when you're first starting out, you keep on looking to the generation above you, like to get on, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Oh, they need to blah, blah, blah. Like you think that's the only way to get on. And then you realize like, no, your peers are the ones who do the most for you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, so many comics spend so much time with the generation above them. And like, sometimes it works out where they take them on the road or maybe they tap them, kind of like mentor them. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's just sort of you, you're funny as your friends get funnier and then your friends get jobs and they just want to work with people they like, and then you get hired on this. So don't, don't lose touch with your own class. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you start to see people get things and, and I knew people that got jealous of that. They're like, why is he getting that? And I was like, no, this is good. This is yes. good. These are the people around us. If, if none of these people were getting anything, then you should be upset. 
And then you should be like, oh, we're doing something wrong. But I was like, and do you, do you want someone you don't know getting it? Like, exactly. Yeah. Like even goat face, goat face happened because I was in a sketch group with Hassan and we're friends, you know, like we've been doing sketch for a long time and he did daily show and, and then comedy central asked him like, Hey, do you have anything you want to do? And he was like, goat face. Yeah. So that doesn't happen if you don't like love and respect your peers and develop these connections. I'll discuss Goatface in the intro to this episode, but uh, to remind everybody listening, Goatface was a sketch group that you did, and you and you had several on YouTube under Goatface Comedy, and then yeah. and then you got your own special on Comedy Central, correct? Right. Yeah. So if you haven't seen that, it's worth checking out. It's worth going. I think through. you can rent it on Amazon, so it's maybe for like two bucks. You can rent the special. It was a it was like a one hour sketch special on Comedy Central. Do you have like a Hallmark sketch that, you know, if you were going to send it to somebody, you're like, this is the one that I really want to show. If you're going to see only one of my sketches, which one is it? From the special? No, from anything you've done. Any of the sketches. Oh, man. This is, this is tough. Uh, I like, th- this one's very low. F- I, it has a, I have a warm spot in my heart for it. It doesn't I hope look it's the one good. that I'm thinking because there's one that you did be. early on that I have shown multiple people. And, and all right, for me, it's it's last Coke. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just so simple and absurd. I think it just shows hallmarks of my sensibilities and maybe what I would do in the future. And I, I like how lo-fi and silly it is. Yeah, you like get on the helicopter at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this isn't a and game, Rick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like finger. We do rock, paper, scissors yeah. for the last Coke. And then on the last one, <laughs> I, I have a finger gun. And then he's yes. like, yo, we didn't say anything about guns. And then it just evolves into this whole crazy town. But it makes sense in the world. That is a, that, that's a good call. That's a good call. I like last Coke. After you're done with this episode, write it down next to you, wherever you are right now, write down, uh, that one would just be Fahim Anwar last Coke, right? Yeah. If you type and that in the YouTube, it'll come up. And write it's, that it's, down right now. Listen yeah. to the rest of the episode and, and we're wrapping things up here, but watch that one. The one that I was going to say that it was earlier on, and it takes a little while longer, but the payoff to me, it was just so funny and it was poignant in the time was the, uh, the one I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but it was the Batman spoof one. Wait, wait, you're wait. in the bed and you're injured, and your buddy oh, runs man, up. Oh man, that's such a deep cut. I've shown so many people that, and I'm just like, you gotta watch this. And especially when Batman was huge, I was like, you gotta watch and Harvey Dent. Uh, was, that, was was that around the Dark Knight? Yes. Yeah, because it was yeah, it was oh directly playing on that, and you weren't expecting it at all, and your face was <laughs> so serious when you turned. <laughs> I can't not. <laughs> and and the, music, the music, the yes. music and the slow motion. Yes. Was, I wonder, and the dramatic you, acting, like I'm in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. Did you use the actual music from it? Yeah. I wonder yeah, if that's. Yeah. We just ripped it. Has that ever been. A you know what? Man, I'm going to post it on. You just reminded me. I'm like, I should post that on Instagram. What's kind of cool is I have this portfolio of stuff from back in the day. Yeah. And I totally forgot about that video. And honestly, that slipped through the cracks. No one ever brings that video up. So it really like warms my heart to know that that's made a lasting impact on you for a while. It's there. And yeah, I'm going to throw it on IG one of these days and just for fun, see what the response is. That's the great thing about having a library of things. Cause for a long time, I was very precious about putting, especially stand up out there on the internet. If it wasn't, 
it yeah. wasn't somewhere already but i have a bunch of old stuff that never made my album but it just doesn't live anywhere except for on videos and i used to be like no i can't put that out and i used I'm to like, be the same way you got to get it out there because once people discover you they see you live or they see one video of yours they're going to want more and if you don't have well, that then yeah and also itch it somewhere else like um we forget that uh we have control over distribution to our fans now. I mean, for the longest time, I was pining over a Netflix special and, mm -hmm. and like, oh, let me in, blah, 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 everyone else. Like, but then you realize, why am I holding on to this thing for the hot girl to like me when I can just take ownership of my own career a little more, chop up clips, put captions on it, it's like Netflix in everyone's pocket, Instagram, you know, or yes. YouTube. And we're seeing so many peers harness that and realize that these traditional pipelines aren't as necessary anymore. It's great if, if they do play with you, but yeah. if they don't, there's YouTube, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's TikTok. And you don't have to sit on the sidelines and waiting for the hot girl to like you. Right. You, you're enough. That stuff's out there too when you're sleeping. That stuff's out there working. Yes. Yeah. And I've been able to garner fans from just releasing my stuff, you mm -hmm. know? And that, that wouldn't have happened if I just sat on it waiting for gatekeepers to say, okay. Well, that's, well, that's the whole goal here, man. Cause I, I started this podcast to keep in touch with, you know, people that saw me and liked me and they wanted to hear more from me, but I'm not visiting, you know, I'm not visiting Seattle every but 18 months. So Same. what do they do in that time? And I used to do an email list, but then I would send people an email. Hey, I'm coming back to town. And I, I would get multiple emails of people go, who, who are you? Yeah. Is yeah, this? yeah. Like, well, remember you saw me. And I, I was like, no, it's better if I have an entertaining platform and I can bring funny people to them, help, help, you know, with some exposure to my friends who I think are very talented and funny. Cause you see these guys and anybody that's been in it for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you're like, you're really good at what you do and you think, well, why isn't this person bigger? Why doesn't everybody know? Cause to be a huge comedian, 1% of America mm -hmm. needs to know who you are and like you, then right. you're humongous. Right. And you're like, well, if, if this person does a club, maybe only 10% of the people in that club know who they are, but they're killing 180 yeah. people in there. Obviously they can win people over. It's just about getting that exposure. And, and so that I want to do that for you, man. I think, I think you're one of the good ones. I think you're fantastic. And I, I can't wait for my audience to discover you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Ditto. You know, like I think this podcasting and releasing your stuff on your own is, is the new paradigm. It's very empowering. My podcast as well. I think it, the, the frame of mind is it's great for my fans to know me outside of just uh, my comedy. Right, right. Before, all they knew was when I did a late night or when I did a sketch, or so they just get like creative of me. They don't know what my baseline is. Like the way we're talking right now, they had no access to that. And like with our podcast, you get, they get to like feel like they're a part of the journey and get to know you um, week to week. Absolutely. Because you can't always be in their town. Like you said, you can't be there all the time. Maybe once a year you're there. And then next time when they do see you, they're going to have access to all this backlog and they're going to love you even more because they're going to know exactly who you are. They'll have inside jokes. They'll be like, remember episodes? And you go, I don't remember that. But thank you, <laughs> but thank uh, you for right. tuning in. Yeah, I got uh, uh, two last things, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, one, I, I like to give uh, my guests a chance to plug somebody else that they think needs exposure that you think is super talented that people need to know who they are. 
Oh, this is cool. Like a pay it forward thing. I love Ian Edwards, man. He, he's one yeah. of my favorites. If you don't know, he like tours with Rogan and like Daniel Tosh. He had a, a special on Comedy Central called Ian Talks. Just yeah. type him, like type him up on YouTube and also Spotify. Listen to his album. Ian Edwards is, is funny. Like one of the best show creators. For sure. Too. He's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Check out Ian Edwards. And the last question is, uh, what is, what, what's like a piece of advice you'd give anybody, not necessarily career specific, but just something somebody once told you and you're like, that, that has helped me out a lot. You have one piece of good advice to give people? For me, I find the biggest lessons are just lived. So this wasn't told to me. I just kind of realized this maybe two or three years ago. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a profound um, observation for standups and just human beings in general. And I think it could help subdue people's anxiety. It's, uh, I guess the quote or whatever that I came up with is, be comfortable being observed. Okay. So it sounds so obvious, especially for a comedian, be comfortable being observed. But you'll see comedians on stage sometimes where they're not comfortable up there, you know? Sure. like. And of course it takes time to develop a level of comfort up there. But even in life, if, if you were like, oh, are people looking at me at this coffee caddy at coffee bean or something like put creamer? Am I taking too much time? Like you are who you are. You're on this earth because you're supposed to be. You can take the time you're supposed to take. You can take up the space you're supposed to take. Um, you don't have to apologize for being here. Like move through life it's okay if people are watching you. It's fine. Like if you can get to that level of just like, they're watching me pour, they most likely aren't. Everyone's busy in their own world. Right. But if they are, they are, they're watching me. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so often you see comedians trying to get comfortable on stage, especially to comfortable, or even moving through life. Like, Oh, am I in someone's way? Like you're fine. <laughs> you know, you're not doing anything egregious. Like you're doing what you're supposed to and it's okay. You don't have to worry about, what other people think or are you in someone's space or something? You're fine. Being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. We, we did that as an exercise. I took an acting class in college and one of them was just to walk across the room and walk back and everybody would judge your walk. And so many people got weird about it. Yeah. So many but, people but if you just want to be like, this is what it is. Um, it's a great place to get to. Um, yeah. Dude, I like that. Well, Fahim, thanks, thanks for taking the time uh, to of do course. this with me. I wish we could have done it in person, but it became obvious that... Because uh, you, you asked me to do it. I'm like, let's wait until we do it in person. I, know, I feel like I texted you March obvious. 20th. I was like, this thing's probably going to be done soon. So <laughs> why don't we... Just, <laughs> six months later, I was like, all right, I'm taking a knee. Like, let's just do yeah, this over Yeah, I mean, same here. I'm like, yeah, you're right. We'll see. Well, cool, man. Well, stay safe out there. Uh, you know, hopefully we can get back to normal soon. And I appreciate you doing this. And I'll send everybody your way. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care.